Peter chapter 3 this morning. And please come out for that witnessing event. You know, um, usually we've had regular witnessing on every Saturday. Not everybody is able to make it on every Saturday. So the idea of this is that if we have a certain date, if we say every end of the month uh, we're going to have some witnessing, it may be better to plan around that. So, um, and, you know, as I know, I'm a, I'm a working man as well, so Saturday is basically the time I have with my family and everything else that needs to get done. But if you can plan around an hour once a month, I think that makes it reachable for all of us. Um, we're in First Peter chapter 3. I'm sorry, after the singing, I just need to lubricate this bad boy. Yeah. Um, now, you will remember that we started off last time, it was about two weeks ago, we started off there in verse 13, and we got all the way down to verse 15. And we spoke a little about, about the persecution that the people were going through that Peter wrote this epistle for, and all the unjust suffering and all of that that they were going through. Now, in fact, the purpose of this epistle was to write to these people, how do you live a godly life in a world that is entirely hostile against you because of what you believe in and obviously against the Lord himself. So how do you do that? How do you do that without losing hope in the Lord, without losing hope in his promises, um, and all of that while continuously looking forward towards his glorious coming and glorifying him while we are still here on this earth because we need to be here right now. And that purpose is constantly being reflected throughout this epistle, and I'm sure for all of you that have been following along, uh, you would have seen that. That's constantly um, in Peter's language in, in what he says here. Now, as we discussed last time, you know, we shouldn't be surprised if persecution ever comes our way in some shape or form. You know, all throughout um, the time that the church has existed, Believers have been treated with hostility by this world. It's, it's just a, I want to call it a fact of life or a fact of the faith. You know, so that's not something new. You know, in, in his letter to Timothy, Paul wrote there in 2 Timothy 3 verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So that's a promise. <laughs> all right. and, and if that is so, I think we need to prepare ourselves for those times where, where the persecution comes our way, for those times that the world treats us unjustly in, in some way. Now, it may be as bad or even worse than these people had to go through that Peter was writing to, or it may just be something as mild as somebody mocking you for what you believe in. It doesn't matter what it is, but, but when it happens, and I'm not saying if, when it happens, like, like Paul says there, you need to know how you should respond to that. And so, in this section that actually started off here in verse 13, and that we will finish off today, uh, we should hopefully be uh, going there to verse 17 and start of verse 18, uh, Peter gives us a list of things to keep in mind if we want to live godly lives in this world. And um, first he says there in verse 13, to be followers of that which is good. We saw that last time. And then in verse, six, verse 14, sorry, we, we saw that we should rejoice in our sufferings even if we are suffering for the sake of righteousness. 
And we spoke about that. Thirdly, he said that we should not be afraid of those people that, that treat us with that hostility or that want to persecute us or, or to threaten even to persecute us or, or with all sorts of sufferings. Fourth, there in verse 15, he said to devote ourselves to the Lord. You see that they sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. That's, that's very important. Give him the most important place in your heart. And I think that, that comes out in... Many sermons that we hear, isn't it? Or, or many, many things that we read in the Bible. Put God first in your life and in your heart. Sanctify Him there. And then number, number five that we looked at last time and, and spoke a bit about is that we should always be ready to give an answer to every single person that asks us, why do we believe in these things that we say we believe in? Because there must be a reason, isn't there? But I, I won't go into that again. I mean, we spoke about that last time. But today, we will pick up there from verse 16 um, with number 6 in this list. So let's just start there in verse 16. I'll just read this text first before we pray. He says, They're having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, we thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you that we can see each other again. For everybody that's come, Lord, thank you for the visitors that came today. Lord, and... and our desire today is to draw closer to you. And we want to get to know you better. And we want to get, your, get to know your word, Lord, and exactly what you want us to do in this life. We thank you, Lord, for all the clear instruction that you've given us. Um, there's, there's so many things. Lord, I, I want to ask today, please speak to each and every one of us in our hearts and show us, um, as we're going through this text, where you want us to apply these things. Put your finger on that thing in our lives that needs to change, Lord, so that we may become more like you and, and so that we may glorify you in this world. Thank you for all that you do. We praise your name. Amen. Amen. All right, so let's go there to verse 16 again. He starts off by saying, having a good conscience. So that's the next thing in the list, as I said, uh, that's important to live a godly life in this world. It's to maintain a good conscience. Now, to be able to do this, I think we first need to answer the question, well, what is the conscience? You know, I've, I've heard people say that the conscience is that little voice inside of you that, that tells you of whether or not you're doing something that's right or whether or not you're doing something that is wrong. And I, I don't think that's a bad description of what the conscience actually is. I think the problem comes in when people start to take it little, a little bit further when they talk about that little voice and they, they want to think that that little voice is actually the voice of God, which it's, it is not. It definitely isn't. And you can see that from the language that, that Peter uses here in verse 16. He says, having a good conscience. So if he says, listen, be careful to maintain a good conscience, then obviously you can have a bad conscience. Do you see that there? The opposite can also be true of you in your life, which I hope it isn't today. But if we can have a bad conscience, well, then obviously that isn't the voice of God, is it? That just stands to reason. So that rules it out. 
But I would rather say that the conscience is that internal mechanism that God gave us, um, each, each and every one of us, whether you are saved or not, to know the difference between good and bad. That, that thing that tells you, listen, whatever you've done now was bad, or whatever you've done is fine and that's, that's allowable. Back in Romans chapter 2, uh, well, let's turn there, in fact. Romans chapter 2. I always like to send you there because that gives me a moment to refuel again. Uh, <laughs> I know it looks strange, you know, when a preacher up here takes a sip every once in a while, um, but you can, you can come stand up here and see how many sips you're going to take. <laughs> All right. Romans chapter 2. And there in verse 13, Paul actually, he's making the point that there are some people that didn't hear the law of God, and because they don't have the law of God, um, they can't be doers of the law, you know. And that he makes the point that, that it is not the hearers of the law, I'm sorry, in verse 13. It's not hearers of the law only that are right with God. It's people that actually do the, do the works of the law that are justified in front of God. That's just the context. That's verse 13. And then verse 14, he says there, For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, all right, so they've never been handed down the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these, having not the law, are a law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. So even those people without the written law of God um, have this sense inside of them of what is right and what is wrong. Paul says that, that the work of the law is written in their hearts. It's not the law of God that's written, it's the work of the law. That's an important dis distinction to make. So they instinctively know what is right and wrong, and then their, their conscience picks that up, and it, it tells them of whether or not, you know, it ac accuses them of doing wrong, or it excuses them, as he says there, of, of doing something wrong. You know, John MacArthur wrote in his commentary on Second Corinthians, and I like this, this quote, he says, the conscience is the soul reflecting on itself. You get that. The conscience is the soul reflecting on itself. Because the word conscience actually means with knowledge. So it is this idea of actually knowing yourself like nobody else can and knowing what you have done and then performing some sort of judgment on yourself on whether or not the things that you've done um, are right or wrong. But now we also need to realize, you know, when we're doing that judgment, that our conscience is not infallible. So what do I mean by that? Well, it can make mistakes. That's what it means. It can, our conscience can fail. Um, it can make a wrong judgment. It may actually excuse you for things that God would not excuse you for and might actually condemn you for. And it may accuse you of things that God says is allowable. And we see examples of that in the Bible. But that may actually, that may actually happen. So how do we know then if our conscience is excusing or accusing us of the right things? How do I know that this thing, wherever it is, is working correctly? That's, that's basically the point. Well, we know that we can't just ignore the conscience because I think that's, that's what some people do, you know, if they get to this point, say, well, I can't trust my conscience, 
let me put it away <laughs> because, well, it's not going to make a right judgment or it might not make a right judgment, but we can't do that either. You know, Paul wrote in, to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 verse 18 to 19. I'm just going to read this to you. He says, This charge I commit unto thee, son Timothy, according to the prophecies which went before on thee, that thou by them mightest war a good warfare. And then verse 19 he says, Holding faith and a good conscience, so hold a good conscience, which some, having put away concerning faith, have made shipwreck. So, if you think, uh, if you think, for instance, about the, the conscience as the rudder of a ship, you know, the, the rudder is that steering mechanism, is that fin, you know, at the back of a ship that makes it go left or right. And, and that, if, if a ship has that, well, it's able to navigate, you know, um, past rocks and sandbanks and coral reefs and icebergs and all of those things, if that thing works. So if the conscience is like that, well, then the conscience is supposed to steer us away from sin. Right? And so if you put away your conscience, it's like the ship's captain saying, well, cut loose that rudder. We don't need that anymore. What do you think is going to happen to that ship? <laughs> it's going to hit that iceberg or the rocks or whatever it might be. It will crash and it will probably sink. It will, it will be shipwreck. That's what shipwreck is. And that's, what, that's Paul's warning here to Timothy that if we put away our conscience and we suppress that thing, then our our faith will be shipwreck. That's what he said there. Now you can go look at those verses again a little later. It's 1 Timothy 1 verse 18 to 19. But folks, if you are truly saved, then obviously you can't lose your salvation. That's also clear from Scripture. So if I say your, your faith is shipwreck, that's not what I mean. But, but you can actually fall away from the faith. And you can start to follow all, so, all sorts of false teachings because you've simply suppressed your conscience. Maybe, maybe for a long time, maybe not, I don't know, but it's so tragic when that happens. And believe me, it's so tragic when you see that happening to somebody. So we can't ignore our conscience. Now, to make your conscience function correctly, it must get the right input. It must be informed by the right things. Because your conscience, at the end of the day, will only hold you accountable to whatever the highest... Um, standard is that you are aware of. That, that, that's, that's about it. And so as believers, we need to fill our minds constantly with the Word of God. And as we do that, we become more and more aware of the will of God and what God thinks about things, what He thinks is right, what He thinks is wrong. And when that happens, our conscience will then hold us accountable to whatever we've learned there. So we're upping the standard every time we're studying the Bible. And we can't ignore that. But it is important to realize that the, the conscience in and of itself is not the law of God. All right? A good, good illustration that I picked up when I studied for this lesson slash sermon was that the conscience is like a skylight. And it's not, it's not a lamp. Now, if you don't know what a skylight is, it's basically, you know, if you, if you have a darker room, people usually... Um, cut a hole in the ceiling and in the roof, and they put windows in there to let the sunlight come through. You will see that in many malls. Actually, this Moirefree Mall has a lot of those skylights. And you, you can see the difference between a mall that has a skylight and one that doesn't. Yeah, the, the darker malls, they usually don't have skylights. It's in interesting how that works. But, you know, a skylight only lets that light through from the sun. It, it, it's not a lamp. 
It's just a window, basically. Now, our conscience is like that. It's like that skylight. It only lets the moral light shine through into us at the end of the day. It, but it doesn't create that moral light. And so the more that you expose yourself to the light of the word and the light of the word gets shown into your heart and into your conscience, um, then you will know what the right and the wrong thing is, whether you've done it or not, you know, maybe before you've done it or after you've done it. And over and over again, the Bible teaches us to maintain a good conscience. It's not just Peter that, that said this, but I, I will let you go, go look up all those verses. We can't go through them today. But it goes even further than that by teaching us to protect the conscience of other believers. That's how important the conscience is for us and, and how important the Lord says the conscience is, is that I should even um, be careful not to offend your conscience and vice versa. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews 9 verse 14 that that moment when you get saved you receive a great gift. Now, except for uh, salvation and all of that, your conscience is purged from all of those shameful and sinful things that you've done up to that point. To purge something is to clean it. So your, your conscience is being cleared. Folks, for those of us that have, uh, that have been saved, you, you will know that, that it's just, it feels like a weight is taken off of your shoulders. You know, that guilt is gone. You don't feel guilty anymore. Yes, I wish I didn't do that. <laughs> but the guilt is gone. Isn't that wonderful? What a, what a great gift. The guilt is gone because Christ paid for it. He carried that guilt on Him and He paid the price for that guilt. And so now your conscience won't bother you anymore about those things that you've done before you got saved. And from that day onwards, you should be maintaining a good conscience. You should keep your conscience clear. And as you grow in the faith, you should keep on shining the light of the Word through your conscience into your heart so that you can make the right judgment on the things that you do, whether they're right or wrong. Now, of course, you will unfortunately sin after you got saved. You know, for those of us that have been saved for more than 10 minutes, we know that. All right? You will sin. And that's an unfortunate truth. And I wish, I wish it wasn't so. <laughs> I honestly do. But when you sin, your conscience will accuse you about that. And as it should. That means you've got a functioning conscience. This, this thing is working. You know, <laughs> yeah. This makes me think now, you know, my, my little boy there, Lucas, you know, you, you, most of you know him. Uh, he's about two years old. But as soon as something's not working, he says it's pop. It's flat. You know, like the batteries are flat. But even if, whatever it may be, it just says it's pop. <laughs> it's flat. Um, yeah, so your conscience is pop, okay, if, <laughs> if it's not working. But, but if your conscience is accusing you, then it's working like it should. And that's not the point when you, start, when you should start to suppress your conscience. Because a guilty conscience is, is not nice, is it? It's not comfortable. I mean, you, you, sometimes you panic. Sometimes you just lie awake in bed, you know, not able to sleep, just thinking about what you've done, whatever it may be. That's not the time to say, okay, conscience, you be quiet. I'm done with you now. Because as we saw earlier, that's, that's dangerous. It may actually, well, that's cutting off the rudder and saying, okay, goodbye rudder. Instead, 
when that happens, you should make it right with God. You should make yourself right with God and with those people that you sinned against. You will remember that uh, it's a very famous verse, First, first John chapter 1, verse 9. We read there, if we confess our sins, He, that is God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He takes that guilt away again. If we just confess it to Him and we ask Him to forgive us after we've been saved. That's a wonderful, another wonderful gift, isn't it? So when you rep- repent and you pray to God for forgiveness, He will clean that conscience again and you will have a good clear conscience again you will be able to sleep but of course i think the best thing to do all right it's great that we have that but the best thing to do is to do whatever you can to avoid willfully sinning against god in your day-to-day life that's a battle folks that's a battle that needs to be fought on a daily basis up until that point when the Lord comes to fetch us, we're going to fight this battle. And I hope you're fighting that battle. It's, it's a battle that's on the in, inside, where the conscience is doing its work. It's not a battle that you can see with your eyes. It's, it, and this is not something that happens automatically. You know, not, not everybody has the desire. Not everybody um, wants to fight this battle. They think, well, it's better to suppress that thing. Well, once again, we can't do that. But our attitude towards this should be the same as Paul's was. You know, we read there in Acts chapter 24, verse 16, where he said the following, And herein do I exercise myself. You remember the sermon last week about exercise. Herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. He's exercising himself in that. It is something that you work towards every single day. Like I said, it's not something that comes, that comes automatically. Now, as Peter says here in verse 16, in, um, well, we can go back to 1 Peter chapter 3, but as he said there, one reason that we should have a good conscience is that it will free believers from having any sort of guilt when they are being falsely accused Um, or being criticized by the world. Look at verse 16 again. He says, Having a good conscience that, okay, so this is the reason, whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that, that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. So even if you're being falsely accused of all sorts of things and your your accusers talk about you as if you're some sort of you know vile criminal. We you know, I don't know how many of you um, read things on internet forums and so on. I've been cursed with that the past few weeks. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, you see that all over. You see that all over. You know, people just talking about Christians as if we're the dirt of the earth. It's, it's so interesting. Um, but you see, your conscience will be clear when they do that. Because you and the Lord know that you're innocent of whatever they're accusing you of. That's the point. Now, sure, it it hurts when somebody says something like that to you. It's not fun. Nobody likes that. Nobody likes anybody coming to uh, insult you about something you believe in, something you did, whatever it may be, the way you look like, you know, like we did as kids in school. That's not fun. And we might not always understand what motivated that person to falsely accuse you of all these things. We might not get that. 
when all we've tried to do is just to be good to people and live good godly lives, not bothering anybody, you know. And that is the good conversation, by the way, in Christ that uh, Paul, uh, sorry, Peter says there um, in verse 16. He says that they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. That's just living a good godly life. That's what it is. But a good, clean conscience will always be able to withstand all of those false accusations and, and the slander or whatever it is that the world may bring against you or that the world may throw uh, your way. You know, in the end, those false accusers, as Peter says here, will be ashamed of the things that, you are, that they've accused you of. Because in the end, they will see that and they know in their hearts that it was false. But you know, verse 16 sounds a lot like uh, what we read in, in chapter 2, verse 12. Just read it here with me. 1 Peter 2, verse 12. Uh, we, we looked at this, well, months ago. But it says here, Having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, just like we read just now, they may by your good, con- uh, by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And we, you'll remember that we looked at that and that the context there is where Peter starts off by telling us that we should keep a good testimony in this hostile world, even though they're hostile against us. We should always keep a good testimony, and he expanded on that for quite a few verses um, after that. And that's also extremely important, you know, to always keep a good testimony. But what I want you to see here, and, and this is why, I'm, we're, why we're looking at both these verses, is that a good, converse, uh, uh, sorry, a good conscience... And a good testimony goes hand in hand. And I think that makes sense. You know, I don't think you can have one without the other. Because if you think about it, if you have a good testimony, then you will have nothing for your conscience to accuse you of, isn't it? There won't be anything. And any other accusation that somebody might bring in against you, well, will just turn out to be false. Because you're having... You have a good testimony. And if we turn it around, we can say that if you strive to always um, keep a good conscience, you know, while your conscience is being informed by the Word of God and everything we've said, then that will work itself outwards. So it starts inside and it will work itself outwards. And in the end, you will have a good testimony. And so you can't have the one without the other. They just go hand in hand. They're brothers. Now, to finish off this section, let's just look at verse 17, what Peter points out there. He says, For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. This is similar to what Peter wrote in chapter 2, verse 19 to 20. And I think that the point that he's making here is, is quite obvious, isn't it? You know, when it, when it comes to your testimony and, and to your conscience, you don't want to be going through suffering because you're guilty of doing something evil. Okay? That sort of defeats the purpose. Because if you've, if you've done something evil, well, then your conscience is obviously not good and clear, so you're not keeping a good conscience. And that also means that you've compromised your testimony. Now, the language that Peter uses here is similar uh, to the language that we find there in verse 14. Uh, Just look at verse 14 again with me. It says, But and if ye suffer for righteousness' sake. You will remember we looked at that last time. It is, it's not likely to happen, but if it does happen, here's how you handle that. All right? 
Um, so it is unlikely that people will um, start to falsely accuse you or, or you know, uh, make you suffer or persecute you if you've just been doing good. But it may happen. And if it so happens, and it is the will of God, as Peter says here, if it is His will, then it is much better to serve that or to suffer that way because you've done good than it is because you've done evil. I think that's, like I said, that's, that's kind of straightforward, but it's something to keep in mind. You know, people, people do evil things and then they say, oh, I'm being persecuted, I'm being persecuted. No, no, you've, you've just, you're just a criminal. And, um, and you deserve that. So be careful of that. Now, if you want a real-life example of somebody that, that went through this, that suffered unjustly, Peter tells us here in verse 18, well, just look at Jesus. Look at verse 18. He says, For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Now, if there is anybody that has never deserved to suffer at all, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. You know, for the rest of us, we can, always, we can easily make the case that we deserve to suffer. Don't you think so as well? You know, all of us, every single one of us, have sinned against God. Every single one. There is not one of us that can say that we've never sinned. And if, if you're sitting in your chair right now and you're saying, well, I've never sinned, well, go, go think a little bit more. Go think a little bit more. You know, so if, if, if you think about this, if, if Jesus never came to save us, then all of us would be headed to hell and to, the, to that lake of fire. Every single one of us. And you know what? We would deserve it. When I explain this to people while witnessing, you know, I, I always tell them, you know what, I... I deserve to have been there. I, I should have been there yesterday already. I should have been in that lake of fire now because I deserve it because of all my sins. I've sinned against Almighty God, but now, of course, Jesus did come. He came and He suffered. As Peter says here, the just for the unjust, the one who was completely innocent. Nothing, he did nothing wrong. He, he suffered on behalf of a bunch of vile sinners like us. So that he could bring us to God. What, what love is that? You know, we sing that song, Amazing Love. Isn't that amazing love? Oh, it's amazing, you know. You know why he did that? Because that was the only way that he could bring us to God in the end, as Peter says here. That was the only way. He had to suffer for us. And he did that gladly and with love you know now we'll dive into verse 18 a little bit more um, next time uh, when, when we um, go through this epistle but I wanted to summarize all the things that we've learned from verse 13 to to 17 you know like I said earlier this is this is a list of things that we should always keep in mind if we want to live godly lives here on earth and I hope that's true of you today that you want to live a godly life and if you haven't been living a godly life as a saved person, it's time to change. It's time to repent and to clear that conscience and, and to follow after the Lord. But this list, uh, like I said, is as believers, we should be followers of that which is good. That's verse 13. Be followers of that which is good. Always do the right thing. Do the good thing. And if we suffer for the sake of righteousness, if that happens, 
then we can rejoice in that. You know, Paul says, oh, I keep on saying Paul, Peter, oh, they both have a P anyway, in their name. Verse 14, but and if you suffer for righteousness sake, he says, if that happens, happy are ye. So if that happens, we can rejoice in that. And we, we expanded on that last time. But we can rejoice in that. And we don't need to be afraid of these people that want to make us suffer, these people that are slandering us, the, these people that are mocking us for our faith. We don't need to be afraid of that. We don't need to be afraid of any of their threats at all. There's nothing to be afraid of. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this, this world. We don't need to be afraid, you know. But what we need to do is we need to devote ourselves to the Lord. And we need to sanctify him, as Peter says there in verse 50. We need to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. Put him as number one in your heart. The number one concern in your life should be your relationship, relationship with Christ. That's the number one sanctify him in your heart put him uh, set him apart you know and then peter says here to always be ready to give an explanation to anybody a reason for anybody that asks you why do you believe in these things we spoke a lot about that last time and i i I wondered for those of you that that listened to that if, if you've gone back home and thought about that and i thought well how would i explain that to somebody how would I explain if somebody came to me and says, well, Frick, <laughs> I don't know if we have a Frick here, but Frick, why do you believe in Jesus? Why do you believe these things? If you haven't thought about that, I, I, I want to give you some homework, if I may. <laughs> maybe, maybe go back today and, and think about that. What would I say? Because that not only makes you ready to give somebody a reason for what you believe in, but it, but it also helps you to see how deep your faith goes. It helps you to see if you have any foundation that you're standing on. And it may actually turn out that you, that you realize that you're not saved. It may go that way. And if it does, well, then it's not too late. While you're still breathing on this earth, it's not too late. And then we can speak about that. But we need to devote ourselves. We need to be ready to give a good re- a reason. And then, as we saw today, we need to have, have and maintain a good conscience in this life. And that's something, and a good testimony, and that's something you can fix. That's also, if, if your conscience is not clean and clear, and, and there are things that you're thinking of right now, or maybe when you lie alone in bed, um, that's bothering you, that's something you can take to the Lord. That's something you can still make right. As I said, while you're still here. Now, just to end this off, and, and the, um, I just wanted to say the reason I went through this list again is just to get that fresh in your minds. Because we read about somebody else in the Bible, well, we read about a few guys, but one in particular that we're going to look at, that also suffered unjustly. Um, and this, the, this man was the first martyr of the Christian faith. Does anybody know who that is? Stephen. Exactly, Stephen. Stephen was the first martyr. So let's turn to Acts chapter 6. And we will look at what Stephen went through. And I found this fascinating. Acts chapter 6. Now, in, uh, while you're getting that, you know, at the start of Acts chapter 6, we read about how Stephen was one of the first seven deacons that was chosen for, uh, for the ministry or for the church as a whole. 
And then from verse 8, we, we start to read about how he was captured and uh, what he went through and all the accusations, you know, to ultimately become that first martyr of the Christian faith. Now, what I'd like us to do, and like I said, this is why we went through the list again, is just to correlate uh, Stephen's experience and, and how he handled this false accusations and the, and the persecution and correlate that with what Peter said and what we learned there in First Peter 3. So let's look at Acts chapter 6 verse 8. It says there, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now, I think it's fair to say that, that Stephen was a follower of that which is good like we saw in 1 Peter 3 verse 13, you know, especially if you take into account the criteria, which we won't look at right now, but the criteria um, that, that, pe- that Stephen had to meet to actually become a deacon of the church. So you can read about that in Acts chapter 6, the first seven verses. You can read about those criteria. So we won't go into that today, but he definitely was a follower of that which was good. He was filled with the Holy Spirit and he had a great testimony. Look at verse 9. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is also called the synagogue of the Libertines, and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. So they got in, a, in an argument with Stephen, disputed the stuff that he said. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. You see, that spirit is a, is a lowercase s. It's not a capital S. So that's not the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is His Spirit, the way that He spoke. They weren't able to resist that. So they were not able even to say anything against what He was saying. That's, that's, they couldn't resist it. He, he had all His ducks in a row when He was standing there in front of them. And He was able to give them a reason for what He believed in and for what He preached. It wasn't just something that he, he was repeating from, oh, well, my pastor said this, or I heard Peter say that, or whatever. He actually believed these things, and he had reasons for believing these things, and um, they weren't able to, to dispute him. Look at verse 11, or to resist him, sorry. Verse 11, then they suborned men, to suborn, and I'm hoping I'm, I'm pronouncing that right. I looked that up, but yeah, I, I'm Afrikaans. But <laughs> it means to bribe somebody, pay them off, okay? So let's change that with bribe. Then they bribed men, which said, We have heard men speak blasphemous word, words. We have heard him, sorry, speak blasphemous, blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and, and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council. And set up false witnesses which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. So they bribed these people to, to basically start a riot almost. You know? So they bribed these people and these people started spreading these, these false things about Stephen and, and like we said there in uh, verse 12, he riled up all the people, the, the, the elders and the scribes, and they all came and they caught him and they brought him in front of the council. But of course, he never said stuff like we just read there. We, we even see they were false witnesses. These people were paid off. You know, people would do anything for money. And um, all of these things were false. 
Uh, so, so I think it is fair to say that his conscience was clear of all of those things that, that they accused him of, because they were false. Verse 15, it says there, And all that sat in the council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Does that description strike you as somebody that has a guilty conscience or that is guilty of what um, he is being accused of? His face looked like the face of an angel. <laughs> that's, that's the picture of innocence, you know. You know, we, we, we see all these pictures and videos on, on the news, you know, when they bring these people in in front of the court. Uh, uh, these guys, they always stand like this. I don't know if it's just protocol or if they're told to, be, to stand like this, but when somebody stands like this, you look guilty, don't you? <laughs> you look guilty. At least you act as if you're feeling guilty, or you might actually feel guilty about what you've done. Those people, <laughs> we will never say that those people have faces that look like the faces of angels. <laughs> All right? that's, that's crazy. But I think that this just also shows us that, that Stephen realized that he should be rejoicing. He should be rejoicing because he is suffering unjustly just like his Lord did, just like Jesus did. And he's following in those footsteps. And if you read chapter 7 here in the book of Acts, you will see that he definitely wasn't afraid either. You know, or we won't read the entire chapter 7, it's a long chapter. But he gave a long sermon to his accusers and he, he reminded them of the history of Israel and what they did to the prophets and so on. And then there in verse 51, look at verse 51. He says there, <laughs> I love this. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost. As your fathers did, so do ye. They also crucified, they crucified Christ. And he says, <laughs> you're stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart. Your heart isn't right with God. Does that sound like somebody who is afraid <laughs> of what they might do to him? I don't think so. You know, if you're afraid, you're like, oh, sorry, boss, sorry, sorry, sorry. You know, he wasn't like that. His face shone like an angel and he gave them the sermon and, and he spoke right to the, to the heart of the matter. And throughout all of this, Stephen kept his good testimony. All the way, all the way to the end. And as these people were busy stoning him, you know, throwing him with rocks to, to kill him, he used his last words, you know, as he fell to his knees, maybe because he just got too weak, maybe they broke a bone, I don't know. But he fell to his knees and he prayed, and he asked the Lord not to lay the charge of murdering him against them, as they were throwing him with rocks. And that was the last thing he said. <laughs> what a testimony. What, what an example of what to follow, you know, if in this life, to stand up. You know, we, we sang earlier, stand up, stand up for Jesus. Are we standing up or are we lying down? Are we, are we shying away? What are we doing? What are you doing? I think we should all ask us this. What, what are we doing? I think uh, we can all learn from this. And we can all learn from what we read in, in, in 1 Peter 3 about keeping a good conscience, keeping a good testimony. And I'd, I'd like to encourage you, ask you, beg you today, go and look in your heart. 
Go and look at your conscience. Have you been suppressing that thing? Doesn't, doesn't he talk to you anymore? You know? Have you been ignoring it? Maybe you haven't. Maybe that conscience is pricking you every single day and telling you, listen, you need to make that thing right. You can't just keep on going like this. You, know, you need to change this or change that. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, can, I can stand here and lift, list off examples for the whole day until my water runs out. <laughs> all right? But we all need to do that introspection. I think, I think we all do. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray today like, like David prayed in the Psalms, Lord, that you will please lead us on the path of righteousness. Help us not to stray away from your path. But I want to thank you, Lord, for giving us the things that we need to tell us and to show us when we are straying off the path. I know, Lord, we may not always realize it immediately. It may take months, it may take years for us to see what we've done. But Lord, we, we want to ask that you will please speak to us and show us what those things are. If we need to make it right with you, I think obviously we do, but if there's something we need to make right with somebody else as well, that we will do that, Lord, that you will help us not to just suppress that thing while we have the opportunity to do so, Lord. Lord, we thank you for speaking to our hearts today. Help us not to just shrug, shrug it off and go on. Say, well, I've ticked the box. I've been in church today. Help us to take these things in your word seriously and to look further into these things so that we may honor your name and glorify your name in this life. We thank you for all that you do, Lord, and may your name be glorified throughout our lives so that the world may know that there is only one name by which men can be saved. That's the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you for that marvelous grace, that amazing love that you've shown to us. Please be with us. We pray this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.